if you die with a million dollars in your bank account, it's not like, oh, good job. You have a million dollars. You left one million dollars worth of experiences. Ah, that sounds so scary. I know. I know. Yeah. And now that's how I think about it a lot. And my face is getting hot. My name's Alyssa. And mine is Bridget. And you're listening to Money Feels. The podcast where we encourage you to save for retirement and then tell you to spend it before. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like not enough people spend their money. They don't, especially in retirement and before. (laughs) And when I say... The people that follow us don't spend their money enough. Yeah, I was going to say when I say people, I'm talking about myself. (laughs) So... Bridget, how does your money feel today? Um, pretty good actually. It's like I think most things are under control. I submit I refiled my taxes, so now I'm in a full-blown argument with the CRA, but Oh no. I think I'm going to win. So <laughs> good. <laughs> so there's that and I don't know, I've just been spending a lot on well, it's my birthday today as we're recording this. So I've just been spending a lot of money on myself the past few days, and I'm enjoying it all. So that makes me really happy. Honestly, good for you. I have also spent more money on myself the last few days. I think I I let Black Friday go, and then Saturday, Sunday, I was like, well, what is there? <laughs> did you find anything good? I did. I found a few things for my stocking, so it was worth it. Oh, that's wonderful. See, maybe <laughs> Christmas. Yeah, every, it's all positive feelings around money before Christmas and then the worst hits in January when the bills come in, right? Yeah. I wasn't feeling great today about money though, because Westra actually has a seat sale. I need to buy tickets for a flight like later next year. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty good deal. Like it was half of what it normally would have been when I looked a few weeks ago, but I just couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger because it's almost Christmas. And I was like, oh, something else comes up. Like I really don't want to be spending like half like 500 bucks on flights, you know, there will be another seat sale. So I panicked and then I felt bad and I was like, (laughs) I don't know. So I'm, I'm feeling a little weird about money this week. (laughs) So did you buy the tickets or not? No, I chickened out. I think I'm going to wait for another seat sale. Okay. I have time. I have time. Yeah. I haven't looked at any flights in a, in a while, so I don't even know what things are costing right now. It's pretty good today. But speaking of time, Let's talk about today's topic, which is the book Die With Zero. Um, If you've been following Bridget and I for a long time, more specifically, Bridget, you've definitely heard of Die With Zero because we're both stands of this book. I'm obsessed with this book. I think it is one of the only personal finance books I've read in the past five years that actually really changed how I interact with my money and taught me something new about finance because I, and I don't mean this rudely to anyone, but a lot of personal finance books at the end of the day are giving very similar information, maybe a slightly different strategy, but this diet with zero is radical. Oh yeah. It is like the opposite of the advice you would typically find in any personal finance book. Yeah. And for that, I love it because I just, I love when we get a little wacky with our money. <laughs> I agree. Um, so we'll tell you a little bit about the, what the premise of Die With Zero and what it's all about. And it's basically him pushing back against people's biggest fear, right? Which is 
not having enough money in retirement. That, and I think it's a bigger exploration of the only two certainties we have in life, which are death and taxes. (laughs) Yes, that could have been another title. (laughs) That was the tagline. Yeah, there we go. But I loved uh, this book because essentially the premise of it is you should die with no money left in your accounts. Yes. The objective of your life is to spend all the wealth that you accumulate. And before anyone jumps up, we know no one knows exactly what day they will die. But like we know the stats on life expectancy. You can make a few educated guesses. And the point is not to die with exactly zero in your bank accounts, but just the lowest number possible under the expectation that you're going to spend your money actually living your life, not just padding your bank account. Yeah, I actually did use a life expectancy calendar or calculator because like you can do that. Yeah, of course. I love being morbid, apparently. Where did Um, you find one? (laughs) I just I just Googled and I picked the first one that came up just to see. And it was like basically what you would expect. It was 88 years old. Like I'm a fairly healthy person. I I think mine was the same. That must just be like the white middle class female. (laughs) Well yeah and like I don't really drink. I don't I've never smoked. So like those typical factors. And then you know, so I know the maximum. And I like in the book, he's like, just don't tell me you have no idea how long you'll live and then use that as an excuse to save money. Like you're going to live to be 150. And so many people are worried about that because inevitably, every time I bring up die with zero, someone says, well, my grandmother lived to 95 or some people live to 110. And as medical care improves, our lives will get longer and longer. But Uh, even as medical technology has been improving, um, uh, most people do not live to 95 or 100. Even even in good health, that's still still an unusual thing. I think 88 is a good estimate. 88 is like the maximum, I feel like, because it could just, it would just decline depending on what happens with your health over the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. That's how I look at it anyways. I look at it like I'm using, like I've done a lot of um, calculations with this and I actually have a spreadsheet. I feel every podcast I have a <laughs> spreadsheet, but if you go to moneyaftergraduation.com slash DWZ plan, it is essentially a future value calculator that I built. And it's a really simple spreadsheet. I've made it fully editable so you can do whatever you want. There are instructions in this sheet, but essentially you duplicate it and you can put in your own numbers. And I've actually set it up so you can put your like TFSA, RSP, and you can even insert um, unregistered accounts and your expected CPP support. And the calculator lets you build out your current account balances and what you're planning to put in and your rate of withdrawal, like it sounds more complex as I'm uh, describing it, but I promise it's it's very <laughs> it's very minimal. And that actually helped me see so much because the calculator, I let it go up to, I think, age 100, but I've grayed out those cells just in case to be like, you're probably not going to see your 99th birthday, but if you do, this is the balance in your account. <laughs> I like it. Have you used it? No, I haven't used it. I'm going to after this podcast episode, but I love that there isn't a lot of actual math in this book. So Bridget just took it upon herself to do the math for you. <laughs> and so much so that the author, Bill Perkins, actually shared your spreadsheet now. 
He did. Yeah. He <laughs> loved it. And he promote because that was the other thing. When I published this, people are like, are you allowed to do this? What about copyright infringement? And I'm like, he's putting it out on his own channel. So <laughs> I seem like he's okay with it. And I credited him. Like at no point was I like, this is my idea. I'm like, this is from the book, Die With Zero, because yeah, for a personal finance book, he put virtually no math in the entire book, which was very shocking. For me, when I read the book, it wasn't, I didn't even consider the numbers in the context that you did. It was more like this book was permission for me to spend on things that I would typically flinch at. <laughs> and like in the wrong hands, this advice might not be great, but, but for me, it was life-changing. Like, in my mind, it's a book that kind of lets anyone whose work and earning money overshadows the importance of living your life. And yeah, and that's what it really was. See, I felt like I couldn't get there unless I could see the numbers. Once I like built my spreadsheet so I could look at it. And when I saw those like TFSA and RSP balances, they're like 2 million when I'm 97. I'm like, ooh, maybe... Maybe this guy has a point and we should oh, start wow. winding that. Yeah, because when you think about it, they just keep growing. And if you're only following, like, say, the 4% rule or, well, for your RSPs, you can't. You have to withdraw more than 4% in retirement. But don't worry, it's built into the spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you like if you follow that safe withdrawal rule, your accounts continue to grow and they get huge. Like when you think, let's say you retire at the traditional age of 65. If you die at 95, that's 30 years. That's the same as like starting your savings at 35 and retiring yeah, at 65. And so true. Yeah. And we just did that episode about Coast Fire and we saw how powerful it is to save like $100,000 at 35 is a million by 65. Well, that's true when you're old. So $100,000 at 65 is 1 million at 95 if you don't spend it. That's very true. Something we don't think about. We're just so concerned with getting to retirement that we don't actually think about the 30 years that follow. Yeah, exactly. And this book made me think about those 30 years, not only in the context of money, though that was important. Like, yeah, because like everyone else, I was like, the balance at 65 is, is it? But no, your money continues to grow. But I think what we also forget. And what I forgot is when you retire, you're old and your health and mobility and even your hobbies and the things you like to do change quite a bit. Like I, my parents are now entering their seventies and it's not that glamorous. Is what I, what I realize now and having cared for like my aging grandparents, I'm like, it's just, yeah, I think when we're picturing retirement and saving for retirement, we're projecting our current selves into the future. And we see retirement as this time where we will have the same energy and mobility that we have in our youth. We'll just have a lot of free time and money. And that's not actually true. Yeah, you're so right. I I like that a lot. And I think you've mentioned that, which is like the whole book isn't about money, right? Yeah, we tend to think that our money is the limiting factor. And most people are so worried about running out of money, but it's actually like your energy and health that are limited. And your life is what's limited. Your time is what's limited. And if we just keep endlessly procrastinating all the life experiences we want to retirement, there's actually like a good chance that you can miss them. And I think that's something I didn't appreciate until I read this book. Because now when I think about myself, let's say, the 10 years after retirement, even like 65 to 75, 
you're like, how many 75 year olds do you know, like going hiking the ruins in Athens and stuff? It's just, there's some experiences that you can only have when you're young. And I think it's now more important to plan financially to have those even before retirement, because maybe you won't be able to go on as glamorous of a trip, but at least you'll have the mobility and energy to do those things that you want to do. Yeah, for me too, like, I feel like I the book had an opposite effect on us, which is kind of cool. But it <laughs> oh, did, <really? laughs> to be honest, because all of the takeaways for me from the book were about my present day life. Like a lot of it was when he was speaking to making some decisions when he was younger about staying in, in a certain industry or career so that he could earn more money mm-hmm. um, rather than going and doing life experiences that some of his other friends were doing. And then the realization that they both kind of ended up in the same spot later in life, but one of them had more life experiences than he did. Oh, right. That was the moment for me that I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm Bill. I have (laughs) missed some of the life experiences that my friends took on without a fear of debt, without a fear of what my life could be like in the future. And I wish I had done them. And so now I'm kind of trying to live my life making up for lost time. Wait, but I thought you you didn't worry about money when you were younger and you were spending. Were you not enjoying Oh, I'm it? still young, Bridget. This is when I was in my early 20s. I mean, uh, uh, since I paid off my debt. <laughs> I, I wasn't implying that you're old. Remember, it's my birthday today and I'm much older than you. <laughs> yes, I know. It's only five-year age gap. It's not I, that bad. It felt so big when I was in my 30s and you were in your 20s and now I... <laughs> Now, once you entered your 30s and became a mom with me, I think we're the same age until until you actually <laughs> say your age. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, she's a baby. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like when I was, yeah, when I was in my early 20s, I couldn't spend any money anyways because I didn't have any. <laughs> but oh, now I that see. I have money and I'm scared to spend it, it, it was like the wake up call of like, Alyssa, you have to spend it. I, okay. I took that away from the book too. Uh, cause I was in the same position and I've said before, it was even one of the bigger motivators for me to buy my house. Cause even though that's like not a financial ROI, it was a lifestyle ROI. And eventually I came to this point where I'm like, I can stay renting a tiny two bedroom apartment and I can watch the numbers go up on a screen. And I will Mm -hmm. have lots of money. I will keep going up and I will be very rich on my digital, digital screen. But I'm like, is that the life that I want for my daughter? And I, and sometimes I still have to remind myself of that because I do get into these like little fits of anxiety about spending. And then I just have to remind myself that, yeah, the, it's an importance about enjoying your life. And Bill says this explicitly in the book where he talks about the senselessness of indefinitely delayed gratification, essentially always pushing off experiences to watch numbers go up on a screen. Yeah, that's literally what I do all the time. <laughs> like I just told, I am, I am, I can't help myself, but I just said at the beginning of the episode when I was talking about how my money feels and I said, I, yeah. I delayed buying those plane tickets. Oh, right. Like, so I'm, I guess I'm just like every episode, I'm like, I'm a work in progress. I wonder when I'll be able to say that I'm not doing that anymore. But every time I review the book, I have those little reminders. I actually bought this book for my brother and my dad after I oh, read wow. it because 
uh, both of them, I felt like love work and have worked very hard their entire lives. And I think I wanted to remind them to enjoy the work that they've done. And this book felt like the easiest way to do that. (laughs) It's a very good uh, book to give to parents too. If you just want to like casually hint at getting an inheritance sooner rather than a death. Yes. um, That's a good leeway into inheritances and like what happens, what would happen to money when you die versus having a plan for that money when you're alive. Yeah. Cause I think that's one of the protests that always come up when we're like, oh, spend your money while you're alive. People are like, well, what about like leaving an estate for your children? Isn't that the point? And he talks about in the book that it's actually more beneficial to give your children financial help earlier in their life rather than waiting until later. And I've talked about this a lot on uh, my platforms. Like I'm planning to give my daughter like large financial gifts at, basically like university to 20 and then again at 30 and 40. And then I'm not planning to leave her an inheritance after that. Because the money that you give her at those ages will be so much more impactful than it would be if you gave it all to her when she was 50 or 60, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Because I think in the book, he actually says the average age that someone receives an inheritance is like 60 Which makes sense. Like if your parents die in their 80s or 90s and they had you when they were between the ages of 25 or 35, then you'd be in your 60s and like, well, it's always nice to get a big cash windfall. It doesn't have as much utility that late in life. Whereas I think when money has the most utility is in establishing your life, it's uh, paying off your student loans or getting married, like paying for a wedding is a huge gift, a down payment on a home, or even money to start a business. Like those dollars have such an impact before 40 and less so later in life. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like if I were to receive an inheritance at 60, when he, when I was reading through that book, like I was thinking about where I would be at my life and like my mortgage will be paid off. Exactly. I will, my retirement <laughs> funds will be fully funded. So what would I do with that money? Exactly. Well, I think about that uh, now because my grandfather uh, passed away two, three years ago now, I guess. And um, my grandmother's still in long-term care, but in their will, they did leave like each of their granddaughters, a small inheritance. It's not like, it's not a huge amount, um, but it's not insignificant either. And I do think it's such a generous gift from them, but it's also like, I'm going to get it at a time in my life when I don't need it at all. And Mm. I so desperately needed even like $1,000 15 years ago, right? For school or anything else. And yeah, so I see it in my life too. But uh, same thing, they are passing away with a large estate and leaving all their money until the end rather than strategically disposing of it throughout your life. And I think what also scares people about this book is there, there is that fear of totally running out. So after you read Die with Zero, how do you reconcile like running out of money and enjoying experiences now? Well, I think I've never really worried about running out of money in retirement because I can only do what what's within my control. So right now and like in the next 10, 20 years, I'm just contributing as much as I can to these accounts and that's the max I can do. I cannot do any more than this. So if that's not enough, it's like, I can't control that. So I try not to worry about it, if that makes sense. Okay. 
that's my approach too, entirely, actually. And that's why okay. it surprises me that other people worry so much because you and I do get so many DMs and they're like, well, what if I need expensive long-term care? And I'm just like, if you can afford to save more, do it. But if you're already at your max, like, yeah. what if There's you nothing. do? <laughs> There's nothing more I can do. And also I just find that, you know, I'd rather keep some of the money that I do have, like, Sure, maybe I could scrape up another hundred, two hundred dollars, but again, then I don't get to enjoy my life. So when I read this book, and one of the sections he gave a specific example of someone spending their money, um, and how much, like, how many people actually end up having more money than they need once they retire, it was like oh, a light bulb so moment many. because yeah. I didn't, I didn't honestly think that the, I thought more people didn't have enough because of how, like, much stress and anxiety I get in my DMs about people feeling this the, way. Maybe there's just like fear-based marketing around retirement. Because do you have the stat? Because I can't remember the stat offhand, but it was something like 82% of retirees still have the same amount or more like 20 years into retirement. I mean, here's a long quote. It's a long one. Should I read the whole thing? I don't have the yeah. stat specifically, I think, but it's, you might think Just that read. as people get older, they spend money more freely out of the sheer desire to make the most of it before it's truly too late. But the opposite tends to happen. In general, spending among, among American households declines as people age. So in 2017, the average annual spending for households headed by 55 to 64-year-olds was $65,000. And then the average spending fell to $55,000 between 65 and 74. And then it fell again to 42,000 for 75 and older. So this isn't the statistic, I guess, about like how many people have too much, but it is a statistic of like the seasons of life and how much you're spending changes over time. Yeah, because I think we all tend to believe that we're going to spend the same or more in retirement. And that's not actually true. Like you actually spend more time at home. You don't go out. You don't even travel as much. Like again, think of 75. It's not, it's not a great age to be like gallivanting around the world. No, it's, well, you can't. And even if you do, it's not the same vacation you'd take in your forties. It would be like, my parents love to travel still. They're in their late sixties. They're they're almost mm -hmm. 70, but it's like now they travel way more relaxed. It's like when they travel, they're really just like, let's go for walks in the morning. <laughs> Whereas when you're <laughs> in your 30s and 40s, you're like, I need to do an experience or a hike or like a new adventure every single day um, because I can and I have the energy to do those things. Whereas most people, when they're older, go on vacations to relax. They don't travel. Two different things. That's, yeah, that's so true. I actually, that just reminded me of a time when I was young and gallivanting around the world. And I thought exactly that. I think I was, I was in Munich and I had met other young travelers there and we were going to go out to this club. But the next day I had wanted to go to like, um, a memorial and do some more touristy stuff. And I knew if I was at a club until four or five <laughs> in the morning, I was not going to do it. And at, at that time, I even decided, I'm like, you know what? At that memorial I can go to later, 40s, 50s, 60s, but I will not go to a club until 4 a.m. <laughs> when I'm that old. And so that's what I went out to. And I actually really enjoyed it. I had a great experience, like German nightlife. And yeah, I can always go back there and see the touristy things, but I did. I 
my 20s were the only appropriate time to have that 4am club experience. And I'm glad I did. And I think that's also important in the book. Like the title seems very scary when he says die with zero, because it does give the implication to like, run out your money as fast as you can. But inside the book, Bill's like very pragmatic about saying, like, figure out the experiences you want in your life, and then decide when you want to take them because you can have the same experience, uh, but it will look a little different. And sometimes it makes sense to spend less and have the experience now or save up and have a better experience in the future. And he's very transparent about that. So if you want a certain level of experience, whether that be travel or something else in your life, then yeah, it does actually make sense to save up and do it in the future. But I think there's a lot to be said to be like, well, maybe I'll be a little bit more uncomfortable on my travels. Like I'll stay at a three star hotel, or I have to take like the tourist bus (laughs) instead of a private car and things like that. And but then you get to have the experience now. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I like a lot how he talks in the book about, I've shared this a few times on my platform, which is like, you die so many lives throughout yours. Like you are a different person in your 20s than you will be in your 30s. You're a different person in your 30s than you will be in your 40s. And so it's okay to like grieve those past parts of your life and move on to whatever's ahead. And so I think this really ties into the spreadsheet the other spreadsheet you've created (laughs) that we talked about in another episode, which is that mapping out your life in a way that ensures that you don't miss these experiences, these very important experiences. And I thought he was so good too about talking about like time with your children and missing those experiences because that was something that really made me in that life spreadsheet that I designed to also take my daughter's ages into account and also the milestones that would be happening in her life because when she's 17, 18, she'll be graduating from high school. So maybe we'll do a big trip then. And in order to pay for that trip, maybe that means we don't go on a trip the year before or even two years before that so we can save up for it. And then same thing, like I really want to take her to Disneyland in October because they do the park up for Halloween. And it's so cute. Yeah. Her and I are like little witchy queens together. She's so she took after me for Halloween. She's all over it. And I'm like, yeah, we need to do uh, Disneyland Halloween. But again, there's years where that will be the best trip ever for her and years where she might not want to go with me. (laughs) So (laughs) you have to, you have to plan around your uh, children's ages. And he does mention this in the book too. Like, and I think it should make some parents uh, feel more comfortable is when you have kids, like your career does slow down. Like I felt mine slow down. Is your mm-hmm, slow down? Same. Yeah, it did I can't for a tell because you work so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I when I was on maternity leave, it absolutely slowed down. By no, I had no choice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's picked up in between those bursts of slow. And I think we feel bad for those years for being less productive, earning less money, and we tend to forget like the value that we're giving to our children to just yeah. be present with them and have that experience with them, which is actually so short, like. I know everyone tells you the time goes by so fast, but when you actually experience, you're like, oh my God, like even having a small, like a newborn baby, like that actually was only a few weeks. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Desiree um, Ojek, who used to have a, a money blog, she's since moved on and she's thriving elsewhere in life, <laughs> but we still keep in touch. And I remember when I went back to work early from maternity leave, she was like, 
trying to make sure that I was making the right decision. Um, and she said something that was super helpful. Like I still went back to work because I'm an addict, but she was like, you know, I've decided myself that when I have a child, I'm going to take 18 months maternity leave because when I do retire from work, like I'm never going to look back and be like, oh, I wish I had those three extra months of work (laughs) under my belt. Um, instead it would be like, well, I had these three extra months with my child and they were such important moments of growing our relationship. And so I think that was a really beautiful way to look at your relationship with your children, but also just like relationships with everyone in your life as outside of kids, like myself and Nick, we also make spreadsheets for fun. We made a (laughs) spreadsheet with all of the ages of our siblings and all of their kids. And then we like put them all in one spreadsheet to see when everyone's like major milestone birthdays are to see if Mm -hmm. we could do like a big family trip with all of the people we love. And that was so fun too. Yeah. I love that. We're like, we made these spreadsheets and they brought us so much joy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at one point it's like my brother turns 50 and then like most of the cousins are just turning 18. So we were like, that would be so fun to do a Mexico trip or like something with everyone at that time. And those are so worth spending money on, even if it's super expensive, because some of those events only happen once in your life. Exactly. The thing, like so much of your life, it only happens once. And if you don't grab onto it with both hands, yeah, you're going to end up with like a lot of money (laughs) and virtually nothing else. Yeah. I love that part of the book because he spoke specifically about his 40th birthday. Oh yeah, which was insane. he threw a massive birthday party and paid for everyone that he loves to be there. And I was like, this is so excessive, but it was really cool that he mapped that out, that he was super transparent about the the experience that he planned for and why he planned for it, um, which was in part because he wanted his parents to be there before they passed away. That's so sweet. (laughs) I know. It it was great. Um, But on the note of inheritances, because we kind of got a little off track, but still... (laughs) in that area. Um, You also wanted to speak about giving legacy gifts and why it's important to do that earlier as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's the other thing. Because often if you're playing this game of trying to accumulate the most money in your bank account over your lifetime, and we're all playing this game, we seem to be really engaged of trying to get the most, the highest number in our bank accounts and living the (laughs) longest lives. Like we're all going for the highest number, (laughs) thinking it's the best. It's not the best. And one thing that often comes up is, yeah, you leave an inheritance to your children. And then a lot of people want to leave legacy gifts to charities that they feel passionate about. And he even makes the point in the book, like it's better to give the money now. You can see how it's useful. Like when you're waiting to die to give these gifts, you're also making the charity wait yes. decades to receive the money when they oh so desperately need it now. And I love that when because that was one of the things. So right after I read Die With Zero, I think I started um, my little scholarship at the University of Alberta because yeah, same thing. I'm like, I don't want to die with the like I'm probably still going to leave a legacy gift to the University of Alberta anyway, but uh, in case I don't, it was better to uh, create a small scholarship fund now that helps someone today. Like someone was gifted it this year. Someone's going to school and had a good chunk of their tuition paid for because I did a gift this year rather than waiting to 
give my estate. Though I will admit one of the benefits if you do an estate and you make it really big is maybe they like name a building after you. <laughs> but Fair downside enough. of that, you're you're dead. So you don't, you don't see don't, it. <laughs> you don't see it. See, that's just another case for doing it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that again is that quote is money left in your bank account isn't money, it's experiences. Yes. And that's what, yeah, he talks about all that all the time where he says, if you die with a million dollars in your bank account, it's not like, oh, good job. You have a million dollars. You left $1 million worth of experiences. Ah, that unhad. sounds so scary. I know. I know. Yeah. And now that's how I think about it a lot. And my yeah, face is getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> scared me (laughs) but he he does he does say that that every dollar is an experience that you didn't have and these can be small and big experiences right it literally could be a five dollar coffee with a friend or Yeah. yeah it could be a trip it could be even just like buying something that you really want for your home or a piece of clothing. Because we experience our material possessions too. I'm very much on the experience, not stuff train. But I also acknowledge that some of our stuff is an experience. And there are some experiences that you want to have. And yeah, you don't want to die with 1 million or even like $500,000 of unhad experiences because that is real money that could have bought real things in your lifetime. And it's it's a shame. and it, But I mean, the only person to get it harms is you. You're the one that didn't get to enjoy it. Yes. I feel like everyone's trying to play the game of capitalism to accumulate as much money as they can. But we've we've been over this. That's not what life is about. That's what they want you to think it is, but it's not. It's hard. Don't you feel that though? Because I'm now um, in the process because I withdrew from like my TFSA a significant amount for my down payment. And mm-hmm. it's going to take me a few years to put it back. And I am even having so much anxiety about that. Like part of me is like, let's just do a bare bones budget and focus only on the TFSA and not do anything else. And I really have to talk myself into doing other things. So I don't just you watch numbers go on the screen. Lean five. <laughs> Stop <laughs> restricting yourself. <laughs> I know, but don't you think it's easy to just want the numbers? Like, if oh, it says, I think it's easier to want the numbers than it is to admit that you'd have to take the time off to save all of this money, to spend all of this money on something because that is scary. Like, like you living our so lives hard. is scary. I think it is for people. I think like we are so fearful that if we spend a certain amount of money, we won't have enough money for the bad things that could happen. Yeah, and they're so yeah. And we're, I don't we're even worried know about have. emergencies that don't exist <laughs> when we should be worrying about the moments that we want to remember. Yeah, and that's also what Bill Perkins talks about in the book. He talks about spending your money on experiences that pay a memory dividend. And I just love that he used financial terminology for that because it made me really understand what he meant. And he, one of the reasons he talks about trips being so valuable or time to see people is because you get to enjoy the anticipation of planning and organizing it. You then get to enjoy the actual trip itself. And then you get to reflect back on it for your entire life. And actually, the earlier you have that experience, 
the more years you get to look back on it and it pays a positive memory dividend for all the years thereafter in your life. And I just thought that was a really beautiful way of looking at experiences. I completely forgot about that part of the book. That was so good. <laughs> like that was such a good part. Cause I do think like, how often do you get together with your friends, like your old friends and chat about all of the funny things you did together? That's like your Constantly. whole friendship in exactly. your 30s. That's like all you do is remember when. That's the that's what binds you together. Like and less new things happen to you as you age unless you're actively going out and trying to have these experiences, but a lot of it is so much on memories and yeah, they really matter a lot. So now that's been a focus since I've read this book is not necessarily to spend money on experiences, but even just to have experiences in the first place, because it's very tempting. And it's very easy for me as I know it's easy for you as well, because we work from home and online, you really can work all the time. And it's very easy to decline what seems very trivial, like a dinner with a friend, or a party of like an acquaintance that you don't know very well, because you're like, I just have to do this like work thing. This is Mm -hmm. more important. I have to do this. And what yeah, you're actually yeah, just chasing dollars instead of experiences. And that doesn't pay as much. (laughs) No, it's really interesting. I think like when you're in your 20s, most of us are struggling financially because we don't tend to have a lot or we're just entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. Yet we have so many memories from that time, maybe because there's less pressure to have all of these responsibilities. There's less pressure because you don't own as many assets. And then when you're in your 30s and 40s, which is the first time you can actually afford to spend money on things because you have a solid income or you're finally stable enough, we shy away from those things because we think we're not supposed to be selfish with our money. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, because I had like no money in my 20s, but my entire life was just... But what was your memory dividend? Probably so high. It's huge because I was going out like four times a week. (laughs) It was great. Like I had so many experiences. And now, yeah, my day-to-day life is a lot quieter, but I do have the capital to spend. Well, now I'm now I'm really focused on building those memories with my daughter. And I think it's very funny because she's so small, like she doesn't remember a lot of the things that we do together. Um, But I remember and even that's special to me, like I, I think it was last year or the year before I took her to the mountains for a weekend and we stayed at like the Fairmont and we got room service and we went for a hike and things like that. She has absolutely no recollection that any of this <laughs> happened. But I remember and I it was really special to me. And I I talked to her about it. We have photos and she's kind of like she says, she's like, Oh yeah, but she she doesn't know. But I remember. <laughs> and so that yeah, so that's been very fun for me as well. I think what was interesting for us is during the peak of the pandemic, we obviously couldn't do as much with our kids. And so I felt like we were missing out on a lot of things more. So Mm -hmm. she was missing out on a lot of things. Yeah. So when we finally came out the other side and we were able to more freely live our lives again, um, we put like one of our goals last year was to try something new with our kids once a month because I think we forgot how easy it could be because it doesn't have to be something dramatically big, but making small memories with our kids is harder than it looks. Like you are so, you get into a routine and you like think you're just like doing everything you're supposed to do every day. You wake up, you get them ready for school, you do your work day, you bring them home, you have dinner, you put them to bed. Um, 
like mixing in one or two things each month that are new experiences. That's how we're getting our memory dividend this year. Oh, that's so nice. That's such a good idea. Yeah, I think I think we were doing great with that pre-pandemic. And I think we got comfortable in our routines and staying home. Yeah, and I'm we, pretty we forgot. comfortable in my stay at home routine. <laughs> I, I'm trying to do more. And now my daughter's like getting into extracurriculars, which is pretty fun because that gives yeah. us something to do. And those are also insanely expensive. Oh my God. Well, so, I think I just realized when we were having this conversation, like we had no money in our 20s yet. We had so many great memories and experiences. So like it doesn't have to be a luxurious yacht trip or you're taking your entire family to a private island for your 40th birthday like Bill Perkins. Um, <laughs> Um, instead, you might just plan a weekend getaway with your daughter because yeah. that is going to play huge dividends memory-wise for the next five years for you. Like that is something for you'll t- look forever, forever, forever. Yeah, forever. Yeah. So I think you can get it uh, really small, but it is it is worthwhile too considering uh, the money and spending it at different times in your life and just realizing when it's useful. And I thought it was really interesting in the book that Bill, he calls this consumption smoothing (laughs) and essentially like spreading out how you consume your money. So you just understand that some years of your life are high spend years where you might even spend more than you earn in them and some will be low spender years. And it's so funny because I was taught that in business school. Like when I got my degree in business about like how to run a company, they're like, some years you have to spend more and some and some years you don't. And I'm like, yes, makes sense for a business. But it never occurred to me to do it for my own life until I read that book. Yeah. And so like, how do you make that decision? Uh, with my elaborate uh, spreadsheet of life experiences That's <laughs> that how I you want do to it. have. Yeah. Cause I just, I essentially made like a bucket list of the experiences that I want to have in my life, the experiences that I want to give my daughter. And then I put them into all the years that they fit. And then I'm like, okay, these years are really high spend years and other years are not like, for example, like this year was a very high spend year for me just because it's the year I bought my home. I have to furnish that home. And then probably like the next one to two years will be the same. And then I know it's going to go way down and we can go spend on something else. But that's, that's what, like, that's what yeah. my spreadsheet's missing is the fina- the finances. I, <laughs> oh. Ironically, <laughs> I got wrapped up in the how do, how do I pick things to do? And I forgot yeah. that I need money to do them. You, you do need money to do them. <laughs> and... And again, this is worth uh, considering, like, do you want to spend less and have the experience sooner? Or do you want to delay it and be able to spend a little bit more? Because like, even my daughter and I could have gone to Disneyland this year. Well, maybe not. I was I was away <laughs> for her <laughs> champagne and capital gains wedding on the weekend I wanted to go. But um, but let's say like I could have taken her even to Disneyland like last year, but then there's other factors. Like we would have had to stay at a smaller hotel. Maybe we wouldn't have been able to book all the things like that we want to do and stuff like that. And so sometimes when I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, that will be better when she's older, I can save up some more money, then we can do more things. Or even now I'm like, you know what, this is a really high spend year for my house. Now is not the time to do elaborate 
uh, vacations with my child. Right. And so you can kind of organize things that way. And yeah, like I said, sometimes it makes sense to delay it for a better experience. Sometimes it makes sense to have the money or spend the money now. And even if it's like a lesser experience, there is often a good case for doing it sooner. Because again, we're getting into that. You don't want to procrastinate everything until later. And I don't want to I don't want to take this to a dark place because that's usually your job on the, <laughs> the podcast. But I've had a few people close to me pass away when they're young. And it really does change your perspective first of like how quickly and unexpected that can happen and how you just don't have as much control over your life as you think um, that you do. I'm going to start crying on a the podcast again for <laughs> I I think that's okay. I think this is a safe podcast space to cry <laughs> if you need to cry. Well, I was just thinking um someone in my family like uh passed away a few years ago and he was only in his early 30s. I think he was 31, maybe he was only 30 and he was diagnosed with brain cancer and the and this was like super healthy fit guy. And you know what? He had a pension and his TFSA was maxed out and his RSP was all set. Like things were organized. And then he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And six months later, he passed away. And you're like, it didn't matter that he did everything right Right. financially. And and he was in his third, like I'm already older uh, than him. And then yeah, I just I've been thinking about it a lot because we also we lost someone in my family earlier this year. And they had actually at least started living out their dreams. They were in Mexico, uh, had opened a restaurant, were living like that early retirement life, and still same thing, unexpectedly sick and and dead at 45. And yeah. I think like it's the case of there are so many experiences in your life that are once in a lifetime experiences and you can label mm-hmm. them that and you can work towards those experiences. Or like you said, just experience them without giving them this massive pressure and title and delaying them because they're not going to be perfect, which is what they're so not many going of us to be do. perfect. And you might need to have them now. Like I think, yeah. Cause I even think when people are having these conversations, like they're like, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of my uh, money in, in my nineties. And I'm like, that is literally the best case scenario that you live that long. Like if you're planning that far into the future, you've already won the game. Cause when I think of like my friends that I've lost young, like I do, like I even appreciate a cup of coffee. Sometimes I have like a cup of coffee and I'm looking at on like my snowy lawn and I'm like, I know how much they would give to even just have this moment, this time, like this is it. We're already enjoying life. And so just thinking like, I don't have enough. I don't have all the things I want. I'm just going to keep saving blah, blah, blah. Like you run the risk of having no life rather than just enjoying what you can have right now. Yeah, that's the quote you already said to me earlier today, which is people are more afraid of running out of money than wasting their life. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I thought I was going like really philosophical, but (laughs) it is, (laughs) it is something that I think about a lot. Like I'm really trying not to waste my life. And some of those experiences cost money, but so many of them don't, or so many of them are like really low cost. And I think we have to stop worrying about our future selves in our 60s, 70s, 80s and start being like, will I have, yeah, will I have that memory dividend to live off of? Will I have things to look back on? And like, 
is having an extra $300,000 at 88 really worth missing out on like a $3,000 trip right now? Yeah. And I honestly, this book too was like the, I think when I stopped tracking how much I spent on coffee, because (laughs) I, that is the one thing every day I get out of the house, I go, I purchase something small. It makes me happy. It tastes good. And like, I don't know, I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. That little dopamine rush from those little purchases is sometimes like that is what enriches life. (laughs) It is like, but like I said, like routine is routine. And if you can add in one small thing to throw you out of your routine or to make that routine brighter. Yeah. Then that's, that's what this is all about. Yeah. Did I just do end things positively for me? I I'm shocked. Like I I think we covered everything, but I'm like we can't possibly be done if Alyssa ended on a sunny statement. I think where I want to end is that I know people are going to ask us if we should if we can start a book club because you are constantly recommending <laughs> books. I read so much. <laughs> I have uh, in the past two years I've had so many reading goals. This year I've read the most I have in the last few years as well. Many of the books have you have recommended me because every time I, t- I say I have a problem in my life, you already have a book <laughs> recommendation handy. So I have, the, I finished all the ones you've suggested for this yeah, year. Yeah. I mean, that's what comes with the wisdom of those extra five years. <laughs> Honestly, I get so much of my creative ideas and like just happiness from books. I didn't me realize too. how much joy they could bring. And this was one I think I read this one last year and it was one of my top reads last year and it brought me so much joy. That's why I always described it as uh, the book to ruin your life in the best way possible. That's literally what Des and I joked about because after you recommended it, we both read it and then we were DMing each other about how like how this ruined our entire perspective because we've been scared to spend money for so long. So we'll we'll leave it as a word of caution for people who have been planning their retirements. The book, if you want to pick it up, it's Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. I think we've said it a few times in this. So <laughs> I don't know if we fully said it with like the author's name and everything though. Um, but it will. It will ruin your life in the best way possible. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Money Feels. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen and be on the lookout for another episode next week. If you like the show, leave us a review and tell us how much you love our giggle. <laughs> the entire episode is usually us laughing. So if you're still here listening to us giggle, thanks. You can Everyone follow us. Can now, <laughs> Everyone can now tell that I do not read these before you post them for me at the end of the show. It's good. It's it's casual. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at mixed up money for me, at Bridgie Casey for Bridget, and at Money Feels Podcast. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>